Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Come on, you make a little bit of noise. Excited to be here. We want to welcome you. If this is your first time or first time in a long time, thank you so much for joining us. We also want to welcome our Grayson campus as well. Can we give it up for our Grayson campus? We love you guys. I'm telling you, God's doing something so big in this region, and I'm so excited that we get to be a part of it. We want to welcome everyone watching online, too, and traveling for fall break, wherever you may be doing, down at the beach. We're jealous and all that stuff. It's cold up here in Kentucky today. But anyway, we're so glad to see you guys. Uh, thank you so much for coming out for this part two. You asked for it. So if you're checking us out, let me tell you this a little bit about this series. The series begun, uh, we did this several years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, where we asked everybody to submit a question and ask any question you may want to talk about or ask about, and we would do our very best to answer them. In that series, we basically took one a question per Sunday and talked about it. And this series, I decided, how can we get through more of the questions so maybe your question uh, uh, can be answered? And some of you, honestly, I looked at your questions. Of course, we don't know who submitted them, but I looked at your questions, and a lot of them were based on specific uh, uh, situations that you're facing right now uh, that would be like a counseling ses session with someone. And I just want to encourage you, if we don't address your question or get to your uh, uh, question, please continue to seek answers for that because a lot of it was specific to your situation or what's going on in your life. Also, real quick, just a commercial break for next week. Uh, next week, uh, you asked a lot of questions dealing with different things from marriage and and adultery and sexual sins and, and all that stuff. So just want to let you know, moms and dads, if you don't want little Johnny to learn a little bit more about the birds and the bees, you might want to take them to our kids' ministry because it's no holds barred. You ask for it, we're going to jump into it, and we're going to look about some of the things that the Bible would say about sexual sins and, and all that stuff. So I'm just telling you, you make sure if you want your kids not to be in one of our services, it's probably best for them to be uh, in our kids' ministry. By the way, which is an awesome kids' ministry, can we get it for our kids' ministry? They do amazing every single Sunday at both campuses. And so let, let's do this uh, just so we can make sure we're on the same page. Number one, I do not have all the answers. I have no idea. Some of the questions you ask, I really don't know. Uh, some of it, you know, I have an idea, an opinion about it. Some of the things I have a belief about and some of it I have a conviction about. And so what I did uh, last week is I broke it down to let you know is that all of us have convictions. Every one of us have convictions. Every one of them. Convictions is something that you will die for. Like, you will die for your convictions. For us, it's Jesus. He came. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. Three days later, he got up out of the grave. And whosoever who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the conviction. You die for that. You die for that. And then we have beliefs. Every one of us have different beliefs. Beliefs are just a little bit lower than conviction. They're very important, but they're a little bit lower. You will fight for your belief. Like, you'll fight for it, but, man, you ain't going to die for it. I mean, you'll fight with maybe what you believe and you believe about this. But if you have a belief, make sure you know why you believe it. Because it's just not enough to say, well, my grandpa, well, my pastor, you need to get anything I say that dives you to get into or drives you to get into God's word, then that is awesome. So you get in God's word and listen to him and speak. So we all have different beliefs. A belief may be something on, I said this last time on creation. Obviously, I believe God created heavens and the earth and all that stuff. Uh, but the argument may be, did he do it in six days or 6,000 years? Is the, is the earth 6 trillion years old, 6 billion years old, or 6,000 years old? Everyone has a belief. I, I wasn't there when God created. <laughs> I believe he did create it. Um, but the reality is there's a belief that you'll fight for. Like you'll fight for that, but there's nothing to die for that. 
and go back and forth. And then we have opinions. Oh, dear Lord, do we have opinions. And honestly, most churches and problems that you have, honestly, it's not doctrinally related to a conviction. Uh, sometimes it could be a belief, but the reality is most of them will argue over opinions. Worship styles is an opinion. Bible translation is an opinion. How you dress when you come to church is an opinion. But the problem is people's opinions now have become convictions. And when everything comes conviction, when everything is serious, then you miss the most serious thing ever, which is Jesus came, he lived a sinless life, and he died, and whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When it's all about Jesus. And so we're, we're going to major on the major, minor on the minors. Here's the crazy thing. You'll never find a church you believe 100% alike, and that's okay. Everyone in the body of Christ may have a different belief, but you need to find a church you have the same conviction that lifts up Jesus. There will never be a Sunday you come that we don't talk about Jesus because only Jesus can heal your marriage. Only Jesus can heal you physically. Only Jesus can bring the prodigals home. So we're always going to talk about Jesus and focus on him. But you asked for some of these questions and we're going to walk through this. Some of this is my opinion. Some of this is my beliefs that I believe and you have your belief and that's fine. And then some of it is conviction that, that you know, you, you, you would die for that. And so it's up to you to figure out what your conviction, beliefs, and opinions may be. But just so everybody on the same page, it's okay if everybody has different beliefs. It's okay if you have a different opinion. We can still worship the same Jesus and focus on him. And so um, if we talk about something and it kind of is like, ah, just, that just kind of gets under my skin. I don't know if I believe the way that Pastor Daniel believes. That's okay. It's okay. Um, but I'm right and you're wrong. But anyway, um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Remember, fight for your beliefs and don't die for them. Uh, last week, so just so you know, in case you missed last week, if you're watching online, I tackled this. What is salvation and how do I know if I'm saved? How do you know if you're truly, truly saved? I talked about can you ever lose your salvation if you are truly saved? We talked about what's the impartable sin? What's, what does it really mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? We looked at does God forgive divorce? Someone asked that as well. What does the Bible say about cremation? As a Christian, can I be cremated instead of burial, uh, body burial? And the last one is my favorite, do all dogs really go to heaven? Amen. I love that. Cats, no. Dogs, maybe. So we'll work through that. Um, so if any of that goes, oh my gosh, I like that, I know a little bit about that, go back and watch it online, grab our app and watch it on that. Today we're going to jump into some, a couple of big ones, and I know this is a very uh, a big one, it goes back and forth, and I know there's so many different opinions about this, and, and, and we're just going to walk through this together. I'm going to share with you some questions to ask, uh, some of my own personal beliefs uh, about this as well, but then this is between you and the Lord really wrestling through this. And so if you're ready to get started, so let's go. All right, here's the first one that we're going to look at today. Is it okay for a Christian to drink alcohol? Is it okay for a Christian to go grab that one beer at the bar, grab that glass of wine over that steak dinner and that salad that you're about to eat? Is it really okay for a Christian to consume, to drink alcohol? Now, for the record, I need to go ahead and just put this on the table because it's not going to take, you know, much into the talk today to let you understand um, where I come from. But I'm going to tell you why I, I come from this as well. So I'm just going to leave it hanging. So for me, I'm just going to be completely, completely honest with you. As your pastor, I'm a 100% teetotaler. 
100%. If you don't know what teetotal is, you can Google it, which means there's no consumption of any alcohol beverages whatsoever. That's my personal opinion and belief about this, that your pastor will abstain completely. You'll never see me at a bar. You'll never see me with a glass of wine. I, even if I'm at your house, even if it's in private, even if no one is looking, you will never, ever catch me or see me actually doing that. I did have NyQuil once, but we all know that it's Jack Daniels in the bottle with food coloring. Can I get a witness? It's really what that is. That stuff is terrible, right? So just so you know where I'm coming from, and, and again, I have my opinion, I have my belief about it, but the question really what you're trying to ask, I think, it's not so much is, can I sit and have a glass of wine, or, or can I have a, you know, a beer with, with, with my burger somewhere eating? I think what you're really trying to ask is, is it a sin? Like, is it really, is it okay for me to do that? Can I have permission to do that? Um, or is it a sin in my life? Or is it a sin period? How will God look at me if he sees me sitting at the bar? How does God look at me if I'm having that glass uh, of wine? And so the question, man, is alcohol a sin? And, and, and here's what I would say to that. It could be. Like, it could be. And you may say, what do you, what do you mean it could be? Well, I mean, I have friends, so they know where I mean, I mean, what you do, what you do. You know, you, you be, you, again, we all have different beliefs, we have different opinions. But I have people around me uh, who, who know I stand that way, and that's okay. I could be with you if you're grabbing a glass of wine, that's cool. I could be, whatever, I could be. But I have people around me who know that, and they purposely do it because they know I'm there. Well, and when you purposely do, if you're going to drink, it may not be the substance, but it could be the manner of why you're doing it. And if you're doing it because you know you can do it and flex your freedom in that just so that you can make a point, the Bible calls that self-righteous, which calls that pride, which that is sin. So could it be, yes, the manner that you are doing it? Could it be that you are turning to a bottle or something to find happy? There's no such thing as a happy hour, folks. That you're trying to find happiness in something that Jesus can give only to you. Yes, that's sin. So it could be. So you, when you think about this, you got to look at, God looks at our heart. He looks at the manner of why we do, why am I turning to this? Why am I looking for, am I looking for a place to escape? You know, people who, no one who, who became an alcoholic, it really started with the first drink. You don't take your first drink hoping to someday to be alcoholic. Alcoholics, when you see somebody who's an alcoholic, it's because they're running from something. Something they won't face, something there's a pain, there's a problem and then all of a sudden, the bottle now becomes the pain and a problem that kind of takes it all away. And the next thing, the things that they're worrying or are concerned about, they lose it all. And, and, and so when you think about it, it could be. It could be in the manner that you are, are drinking it. But the Bible, let me just walk through this. The Bible has, first of all, it has a very strong warning when it comes to alcohol. In fact, it's remarkable of all the warnings there are in the Bible. Just something real quick with the Ephesians 5, 8, 518. Don't get drunk with wine. Because it will ruin your life. Romans 14, 21, it is not good to drink wine or do anything that causes a brother to stumble. We'll talk about that in a moment. Hosea 4, 11, be aware, be aware of wine and new wine that takes away your understanding, your intellect, which means controls your body. Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a marker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. One of the strongest one in Proverbs 23, this one will be on the screen. Don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down, for in the end it bites like poisonous snake and it stings like a viper. How do you not get bitten by a snake? Don't play with it. 
Keep going. Verse 33. You will see hallucinations. You will say crazy things. Somebody's like, man, I know somebody like this, and I know they ain't drunk. They're just always like this. They say crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor, tossed at the sea, clinging to a swaying mast. And you will say, they hit me, but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know when it, they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can look for another drink? Obviously, obviously, when we read through the text, we see that even though it was permitted, it was very, very dangerous. And the Bible gives a strong warning to it. So what do you do? So what do you do? So in Ephesians 5.18, this is a verse that Paul writes. He writes this, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. It's going to ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul is not, in this context of this, if you want to be exegete the scripture and look at the context, Paul is not specifically debating whether you should drink or not. What's happening if you study mythology and the pagan deities that these guys used to worship, they thought that if they would get drunk, they would become into a state of, from this nominal world. They could escape the nominal world, and then they would interact with these different god and goddesses. And these god and goddesses, which like we could talk about all that in mythology and stuff, were actually a, a, a sexual goddesses. So they would have these orgies. They would have these brawls, uh, brawls. And so what happened is they thought that they would escape from the world world and get drunk and then be called up into another realm where then they could worship with these other deities and gods. Of course, Paul calls these not gods, but demons. He said, you drink your way into where you were mixed with these demons. So Ephesians 5 at this point in the context is talking about the way now that we worship. And what he says is you don't have to be drunk with wine to worship. To come into the connection with God. In fact, don't be filled that way. It's the Holy Spirit that connects you with God. So be filled with the Spirit. It's your connection to worship the one true God. Not all these deities that Paul would even say actually are nothing but demons. So in this context, he's not, he's not arguing back and forth whether you should drink or not drink. Because we can all agree on this. Every one of us. We can all agree on this. Being drunk is a sin. The Bible condemns it. The Bible all the way over and over and over talks about it, talks about the strong drink, to stay away from the strong drink. All the way through the scriptures, the Bible always condemns drunkenness. Always, always, always. And hopefully we could be on the same page with that because there's no, every time it uses strong drink, every time it talks about drunkenness, it's always, always condemned. But the problem is, and here's the problem, who gets to decide what drunkenness is? Like, what's drunk to you than to somebody else? Is it really just if you only blow .08 and you're driving, you're under the influence so you could get a DUI? Is that the gauge? Is that the measure that now we as Christians carry in our pocket? Every time I go to the bar and have one beer or, or have a glass of wine, after I finish, I can blow into it and say, I'm not sinning because I'm at, point under, I'm at .05 and I'm not over the, eight, over the limit of .08, so I'm okay. Is drunkenness when I can't walk? Is drunkenness when I, I'm throwing up? Is drunkenness what? When? When I lose control? When I, when I take the edge off? Pastor, I'm just taking the edge off. I just want to get an, an influence of something else to take the edge off. Because, man, I had a hard time at work, which means I'm trying to run away from work, which is another whole issue. I don't want to go home to my wife, so I want the edge laid off. Well, why don't you want to go home? So there's other issues. Why, am I, why do I want that? What am I looking for in that? And, and, and so we all would agree that being drunk is sin, but who gets to decide who's drunk or not? 
to the 270-pound man who can keep going and going and going, and to the 110-pound 21-year-old college student who takes one drink and maybe two, who, who gets to determine that? And God doesn't draw that line. This is when you know you're drunk. This is when you know you've gone past the limit and you are now sinning. And, you're like, and so it's really unclear. And, and, there's, and that's why I believe the Bible cautions it, but then warns strong drink and, and drunkenness. So Christians who really advocate drinking have basically a couple arguments, really, really, really just one. The Old Testament, they drunk wine. True. The New Testament, they drank wine. True. Jesus turned water into wine. True. All that is true. But there's all kinds of things in the Bible that the Bible does not condemn that we don't do today or that we wouldn't do today. So you really need to think through and we ask ourselves these questions. Now, I don't really have time for, to jump into all the background and research stuff. There's several Hebrew words when you look up the word wine. The most popular one was yayin. And yayin, when it used the word wine, always represented, it was even fermented or unfermented. And it was by the context of the scripture, you could tell if he's talking about if it was fermented or unfermented by just the context of the scripture. And then there's a shakar that was when it talks about, this is the strong drink, the strong wine that the Bible says stay away from. This is the hard stuff. Like this is like the hard, hard stuff. He says stay away from this and, 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 and it condemns it. You don't want to go to these things. You, you, you want to make sure. The, the thing about it is every time that it uses yay in, it talks about a mixed drink. And I'm not talking about mixed drink the way you think mixed drink. I'm talking about diluting it with water. You can see all through the Manisha, you can see all through Judaism, you can see all through the intertestaments between the Old Testament and New Testament. You can find writings outside of the Bible when they said, that, and, for, and for the most part, most of the wine back then was a paste because it didn't keep itself. They didn't have a refrigerator. And so they would boil it and they would make a paste. Think of a powder drink that we would have today and they would add the paste, they would add it to the water. And so it wasn't why I had a cold tap over here and anytime I needed it, they, they couldn't keep it. So they would, for, they would boil it into a paste, and then they would have the paste, and anytime time they wanted, they would mix the paste. You could see through the scriptures how they talked about it was mixed with water and the paste. It was mixed with water and the juice. So it was always, was always mixed, except for the strong drink. The strong drink was always unmixed, no water down whatsoever. It was the hard stuff. And so when you look at it, the questions that I want you to ask, I want you to ask, because the moment, listen, as Christians... We look down on someone because you're sitting over at the bar, or you're sitting there having a glass of wine. The moment we look down on you, then we become self-righteous, and we begin to judge you. So it's a double whammy there, so you have to walk you through. So as your shepherd, and as your pastor, and as one who cares for your soul, and as one who will stand before God and give an account how I led you, and your family, and your kids, I choose to leave with love and to abstain from it. So that I would set the best example for you and your family, but not just about you and your family, but also for my four kids that watch me. And here's what every woman you say, that's great for you, pastor. That's good for you. I'm glad my pastor's a teetotaler. I'm glad I'm not seeing my pastor sitting over there doing that. See, most people would say that for your pastor, but the Bible says, guess what? We're all priests. It's the priesthood of the believers. So I think we have to ask ourselves some questions. And then we walk through these questions, then you can able to make your decision. Where your opinion becomes a belief or your belief becomes that conviction that you kind of would die for. is like, you know, here's, here's, here's where I will land on the subject. Here's some of the questions. Here's the question that I would ask if I'm asking this. Is it the same? 
Are we talking apples for apples here is what I mean by that. When you look at the, the wine and the drinks in the Bible, are they the same as today? Now, obviously, I don't have a vineyard. Obviously, I don't grow uh, 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 grapes. Obviously, I don't, I don't know how to make it. Obviously, I don't go and do test taste uh, first century wine versus today wine. I, I, don't, I don't know that. So you have to turn to people who study this and look at this and know because I, I can't just come up with the conclusion. But if you're going to ask that question, you should jump in and say, are we comparing apples to apples? Well, let's just walk through that real quick. Today, a 12-ounce bottle or, or, or can of beer has 12, I'm excuse me, has 5% alcohol. That's your standard, 5% alcohol. A glass of wine has your standard of 12 to 14% alcohol, unless it's a really strong glass of wine, which depends on how long it was fermented. Fermented. A, a martini, four ounce martini, has 32 ounces, I'm sorry, 32% uh, of alcohol in it. Just one little glass of martini. If you go into a shot of whiskey, 40% alcohol. You go into a shot of tequila, 50% alcohol. You go into a shot of bourbon, you're getting right there even, even greater. And so when you look at this, you've got to ask yourself, are we comparing apples for apples? So I did some research, and I, let me go into this. I've done this 15 years ago because this is a question people ask, and I want to make sure if I'm going to stand and, and lead a community of believers and knowing that everyone's not going to be on the same page, and I understand that, but for me, I better have something else than just other principles of the Bible because when you look through it and you go, well, they drank wine in the Old Testament. Awesome, they did. They drank wine in the New Testament. Jesus turned water into wine. You better, if you're like me and you abstain from it, then you better say, well, then, then why don't you do that? Then why, what's your argument, and really not argument, or your beliefs or opinion about it? And so when you look at this, this, this happened years ago, about 15 years ago. I started studying this. And so I want to make sure I knew, like I know my name, why I, I choose when my kids ask me, or when you would ask me, why do you choose to abstain from it? Because you can't just say, well, the, you can't just pull a verse out and say that's what you picked. And so I started researching, is it the same? Yale University, who has no really trying to pr promote Christianity or believe the Bible or anything, but they do try their very best to destroy alcoholism. They're really the leading guys in this. They really want to help. help uh, they see it across the board about when it comes to alcohol. And here's what they said. The wine of today and wine of the Old Testament are two different wines. Today, the process of fermentation involves a mechanical and chemical process that was unavailable in biblical days. And listen, this is Yale University who, who were just talking about people who are an alcoholic. They looked for the last two years of alcoholics and they said, where did this come from? When did it start? When did we start seeing it? Because people have been getting drunk from day one. We've seen this even from Noah's day. So this is not really, the, 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 that's not really what they're trying to discover. Here's what they discovered. And this was fascinating. This is Yale University. They said it would take 29 12 ounces of first century wine to be equivalent to today's two martinis. This is Yale University. This, this, is, this is not, well, when you see wine in the Bible, you think it might be wine of the day. When you see the word beer in the Bible, you think it might be beer of the day. Yale University has concluded we're talking about two different things. Yes, we all know they watered the wine down because the water, they didn't have pure drinking water. And the wine would destroy the bacteria in the water, then they drink. Paul tells Timothy when he's sick. Why did Paul have to tell Timothy? Because Paul also told Timothy to stay, don't stay beside wine. If you're going to be an elder, if you're going to be a deacon, if you're going to be a preacher, you don't need to be staying beside it. So he was sick, and so Paul says, listen, drink some wine. Why? Because it will destroy what's going on in your stomach. And so he's trying to tell him, so why would Timothy stay away? Because Paul told him, he said, listen, don't let that be beside you. 
He said, but when you look at it, we're not talking apples for apples here. The content of alcohol that's poured in more today in distillery today is completely different than them. If you remember in Acts chapter 2, they sit there and they were preaching Jesus and everybody says, these guys are drunk. What are these guys doing? And what do they say? It's, it's 9 o'clock. They're not drunk yet. Why? Because it takes a long time to sit around 29 glasses or so of wine before you get drunk. Well, Jesus turned water into wine. Did you know that weddings last seven days back then, not just a couple hours? This is something that lasts over and over and over that they indulged in, over and over and over. So we saw that, that people obviously were obviously drunk in, 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 in John chapter 2 as well. And so the question is, according to Yale University, we're not even talking apples for apples. Billy Graham even came out when people ask him all the time about this. He says the difference, they're not, they're not the same. We see, let me quote you exactly what Yale University says. The normal process of fermentation, the fruit of the vine, from biblical times, do not produce the alcohol levels to bring about drunkenness as we see today. There must be a mechanical interference with the normal process, such as adding pure alcohol or other mechanical process of distillation to produce the kind of wine that's common today. The Hebrews would have referred to our wine and our beer as strong drink everywhere that the Bible uses strong drink. It is condemned. Biblical wine was one part fermented wine and five part water. This is Yale University. This is not scholars who think about, I'm just trying to make a point to be a teetotaler. They're just saying, listen, it's not the same. Robert Stein, the leading world-renowned New Testament scholar, arguably the best of the synoptic gospels, did all of his research and comes to find out he's in this topic. He says, we're not talking about the same. In fact, in between the intertestament time, we find writings that says, make sure, talking to Judaism, talking about those who found Jews, make sure you mix it 20 to 1. 20 water, 1 wine. We see this all the way through. Folks, listen, I wasn't there. And a lot of this is based on just studying what some people have studied to figure out who's way smarter than me when it comes to the stealing and how they do that. And all the arguments say, this is not the same. Yes, it had alcohol. They're not saying it didn't, was it not fermented because sometimes it was and sometimes it wasn't. We saw that with the Hebrew word. But even when it was, we are not talking about the same. Norman Geiser, one of the great American theologians, said to this, even pagans back then would not drink what we as Christians claim to drink today that's considered a strong drink. So I think the question you have to ask yourself, is it the same? You, know, you could take my opinion. I want you to go do your research. Like go for, and not just Google it, go find out for yourself. Here's some real quick. Let's walk through this real quick. Is it necessary? Is drinking necessary? Absolutely not. It's your choice. And it's not necessary. Well, it, it, it could, if I get a great, if I got a real nice red wine, then it may prevent me from having heart disease. Well, so does flossing. And I'm not talking about the dance. There's been some connection from Harvard and, and, and university. Been reading about this too. That uh, that connects between gingivitis and heart disease because the plaque that builds up in your mouth is the same the plaque that kind of builds up in your arteries in your heart. And they said, listen, you, we don't know for sure, but maybe flossing once or twice a day could have five years to your life and prevent you from having heart disease. Cancer, the number one killer in the country, heart disease. Right behind that is alcohol. And so when you, when you look at this and you think about this, it's that, hey, you know, is it necessary? It's not necessary. Is it the best choice if you want to avoid drunkenness? Because we know that's wrong, right? No one ever took one drink hoping to become an alcoholic someday. The, 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 I don't have really time to jump into this verse, but this was fascinating real quick. Is in Leviticus chapter 10, um, Aaron's son over the temple 
was the ones that go in and light the incense. There was a different mix how you make sure that you produce the flame. Well, you read Leviticus chapter 10, and it says in there that they, they didn't do it right, and a strange fire happened from the incense. Well, God struck them dead because they didn't do exactly what they were supposed to do and the exact way they're supposed to do it. And then right after that, God tells Aaron, the priest, about his sons and about the generations to come. This, look what he says. Then the Lord said to Aaron, verse 9, You and your descendants must never drink wine or any alcoholic drink before entering the tabernacle. If you do, you will die. This is a permanent law for you. It must be observed for the generation to come. Now, he's talking specifically to Aaron and the generation to come. The Levites all the way down for the priest. But I think it's pretty fascinating. Why did they mess up? Because they got too close to the bottle. And they went into the, they went into the t- tabernacle thinking they had it all figured out. But because they lost the, th- the train of their mind, they mixed it wrong way. A strange fire happened and God said, no, you did it wrong. Took them out. And then he says, listen, you better tell your boys, never enter in my presence like this from here on out. So is it the best thing to avoid from being drunk? Absolutely. Stay away. Here's another one. Is it habit forming? Could this be habit forming? Could this cause me to become addicted to it? Absolutely. I have a lot of friends who are recovering alcoholics. I have a lot of friends who are, in, who are alcoholics right now. They need help. We on any given Sunday have people bust from recovery centers into this place. I have friends who've been clean for 30 days. I have friends who've been clean for 10 years. And everyone will tell you, not a day goes by without a draw, without something within them to want, to see, to have. But they have to practice self-control. How do, I, how do I do this? How do I stay away? Could this be habit forming? Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 6. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. You have the freedom and the liberty in Christ. But not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Now, I know exactly your argument. Well, pastor, you should stop drinking coffee because you're addicted. I'm addicted to coffee. But that I'm aware of, I have never met anyone who drank four or five cups of coffee and went home and beat his wife and his kids. Ever. Well, you should talk about gluttony and people overeating. That I'm aware of, I've never seen anybody eat so much that they went home and they beat their wife and their kids. We're not talking about the same thing. Something that can completely take control over you. That can completely be intoxicated to. And when do you know what that level is? I can hold one. I can hold a pack. Like, how do you know? Where is that level? I choose not to flirt with it. Because it can become a habit-forming thing. Is it potentially destructive? Absolutely. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. It's going to ruin your life. It will ruin your life. $2 billion a year advertised to our young people. The median age for someone to ever drink now is age 13. Four out of 10 youth pick up a drink before the age of 21. 90% of high school, senior high school students across our country admitted they've drunk alcohol before. 90%. Not my Johnny. He goes to the Christian school. I bet it's him. Nine out of 10 high school students, 4 million Americans right now are alcoholics under the age of 18. That at least tells someone. 67% of high school students says they drunk alcohol in the last 30 days. 67%. 36% of 9 to 10 year olds said they've already been pressured by their peers to drink alcohol. 
seven times, teenagers who drink alcohol are seven times more likely to participate in sexual activity. Two-thirds of date rapes between teenagers and college students, all alcoholic related. And wisdom, and just wisdom, how can I lead the way in drinking? Even if it's just a glass. It's good old beer, man, with the burger. How can I lead the way as your pastor in doing that? Knowing the destructive that can come from that. The medical journal said this. The medical journal, they did all the research and they said this. They took a 129-pound person, one glass of wine. They were almost already blowing 0.08, one glass of wine. 12 ounces of beer between 0.05, Four ounces of whiskey or a shot of vodka already at 0.08 for a 129-pound person. You come here and give permission to that young college student girl who's the first time just turned 21 and she's 112 pounds. And when my pastor said it's okay, I see him at the bar. I can have one. One's not going to hurt, right? She's already blowing 0.08. We're not talking about the same thing. It is destruction. Could it be offensive to other believers? Absolutely. It could offend other believers and unbelievers. I'm going to give you a verse here. Write this down. Romans 14. Verses 12 through 22. Just read that context. It's talking about as Christians, we are free, but be careful on how we could offend other people around us, even believers or unbelievers. But the reality, don't miss this too. Paul argues is if you're going to offend someone, offend the unbeliever, not your brother and sister in Christ. Some people say, well, if I go to someone's house and they offer me something to drink, I don't want to offend them, even though they're unbeliever. Offend the unbeliever, don't offend the believer. There's a strong, strong, strong warning with that that Paul gives. Read Romans 14. He says, the world's not made up of what you eat and drink. There's nothing wrong with the food at all. Read that context, but there could be some people you could offend. Here's a big one for me. Could it be harmful to my testimony? Absolutely. And since the Bible, watch this, watch this, condemns strong drinks and condemns drunkenness, and you could have an argument one glass, not a big deal. Jesus turned water to wine. They drank it. Yeah, you have to do your research and go, was it the same? You have to come to that conclusion. Are we talking apples for apples? But for me, because it's so cautious against it and there's so many warnings to say, be careful. If you're going to flirt with that, I have no desire for it. I have no desire for it. Why? For those around me, my family, for this, my church family, for us and our community. Don't want to damage my witness my walk, my words, or the work of God in my life. And here's the reason why. Because it's not even necessary. It's really not even necessary. Oh, but I like the taste of it. Okay. I, I tried it once. I don't know how you do that. I've got to acquire to it. Okay. But it really, at the end of the day, it's not even necessary. Like, we're not even talking something that you even need. So I would like to talk about water or the air that you breathe. It's not even necessary. So here's the reality. It's a wisdom call. It's a wisdom call. Ephesians 5, 15. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but those who are wise. At the end of the day, it's a wisdom call. You get before the Lord. You talk to him about this. And in wisdom, is this the best thing to do? And honestly, you can run all kinds of things through that. I'm not talking about just drinking or alcohol. You can run all kinds of decisions, all kinds of other substances, everything in your, would this take over my body? Do I have a, does it become a habit for me? Is it necessary? Could it destroy my testimony? Is that the power to take over me? Like you can run all kinds of things. So at the end of the day, it's 
a wisdom call. And so rapid round real quick. Um, I know some of you are like, okay, that's cool. I'm going to go have a beer and watch a football game. Man, listen, again, everyone has different beliefs. I want you to know where your pastor comes, where I will lead you and your family. Because I never, ever want to be an excuse for you or your kids to go, well, Pastor Daniel does it. Why can't I? I never want to be that for you and your family. I never, and honestly, I don't want you to be that for my kid. Because it's not even necessary. It's not even necessary. So real quick, here's some real fast ones. Wrap it around real quick. What about cussing? Is cussing a sin? Maybe. Maybe. Words change meaning, so it's not so much the word, right? But the, our society has deemed cussing and profanity that offends. I get that. But maybe the heart behind why you said that, when you say that to someone, of what you're trying to do, the heart behind it could be. I mean, I will, I'm still waiting for someone to tell me how in the world by saying the F word builds you up and somebody else up. Somebody help me with that. As Christians, how does that build you somebody up? How does it even build you up? It's not even necessary. It goes back. It's a wisdom call in wisdom. It's just, honestly, it really makes you look immature and shows that you have no self-control. Because I know that, folks. I told you about this last week. 99.99% of my vocabulary changed immediately when I gave my life to the Lord. Because now under self-control of the Holy Spirit, I can control the words that come out of my mouth. Because really, it comes out of my heart. And so, is there freedom? Yes. It's a wisdom call. So you, you get before that. I have a belief about that. We, you may have an opinion about that as well. Could it destroy my testimony? Could it offend people around me? It's not even necessary. There's other words like shoot, Christian cuss words, right? <laughs> it's still the same meaning behind your heart, right? Right? Oh, Christian cuss words. Oh, we should have a whole series called Christian cuss words. Uh, rated R movies. Can I go to rated R movies? I'm a Christian. Um, well, if you want to go. Like, is there a scripture that says stay away from rated R movies? Man, I can't find one. I've been trying to find one for my teenagers. You know what I'm saying now? Dad, I'm of age now. No, you're not going. Why do you choose, Pastor, not to go? Well, I choose not to go to radar movies. One, I check them out first, and I see they have five sex scenes in it and shows nudity. Okay? Before I gave my life to Jesus, I was addicted to porn. Why in the world would I go sit and watch a scene that has the power to bring me back into bondage? If I'm going to see anybody naked, I won't be my wife. Seriously. So why would I want to? It'd be like you and I have friends who are also recovering alcohol, from alcohol and I invite them over and I pull out a beer. It's in my house. I can do what I want. I got freedom in Christ to do it. It's like I just pulled a grenade out, man. And like, you don't know what that does to me when that's around me. I have freedom in Christ to do what I want. It's a wisdom call. It's a wisdom call. The other thing is about the language. You look up, it has 32 F words, 17 GD words, and 20 MF words. I don't know about you, but when you're around stuff all the time, and it just gets in your mind, and before you know it, whether it's the music you listen to and how you respond, I just don't want to fill my mind with that. But what about the gore? It's just gore. It's like a war scene, and it's all this stuff. All right, I just don't have a heart. I mean, I just don't have a stomach for that. So you use your judgment. But again, I don't want to be in the conversation with my kids. Well, mom, dad watched it. Why, why can't I? 
hey, my pastor watched it. Why can't I? Well, use your best. It's a wisdom call. And let's just write the, uh, uh, what was it? Tear the um, Passion of the Christ. It was rated R. All the Christians went and watched that. I'm, I'm sinning now. I went to a rated R movie and watched the Passion of the Christ, right? Because it was rated R. Uh, Paul does say, fix your thoughts on things that are honorable, pure, and noble, and righteous, and admirable. So I want to try to do my best to do that as best as I possibly can. And then lastly, someone wrote in and asked some questions about this, about interracial dating and interracial marriage. Um, is that okay? Absolutely, it's okay. Absolutely, it's okay. Racism has no place in the body of Christ. Absolutely nowhere in the body of Christ. The scripture is very clear. Absolutely. The scripture is very clear. There's only one race and it's a human race. Paul talking, there's only one blood and it's the one that he died for in us. As far as interracial marriage, absolutely. Interfaith marriage, no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He's a Christian, she's not. She's a different, absolutely not. The Bible is totally against that. Christians should marry Christians. In fact, Christians, I would tell you to date Christians. And I won't talk about just somebody who calls themselves a Christian. I'm talking about somebody who follows Jesus. They show up to church and they serve. Date that person. Like marry that person. Go after that. But as far as different, you know, um, skin color or where you come from, absolutely not. The only caution I would give, and hopefully this would come out in maybe premarital counseling, would be cultures. A lot of times cultures are different. And so you got to make sure that you're on the same page and talk through that because you may have been raised a certain way than they haven't been raised. And then you just need to talk through the cultural differences, but absolutely it's okay. So just want to throw that out there to you. Well, folks, that's it for the day. Wow. Whew, glad that's over. And um, uh, honestly, get in the Word. Let that drive you to go study. Let that drive you to ask some questions. And let you see where you land on your opinion and belief about things. And it's okay that we all have different beliefs. But let's all stay focused on Jesus and reaching people for him. I'm asking real quickly to bow your head. Thank you guys so much for coming today. Both of our locations. Thank you for being here. And listen, honestly, the greatest decision you could ever make is to give your life to Jesus. And maybe today he has drawn you to himself and has spoke to your heart. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to our next step area. I want you to walk up there and tell them that today that I want to give my life to Jesus and they want to help you and give you some resources and walk you with through walking with Jesus because that's really honestly why we do what we do is for you to enter that relationship because he loves you that much just the way you are but loves you so much that he's not going to leave you that way he's going to fill you with the spirit and he's going to help you watch win the battles that are in your life break strongholds in your life I'm telling you you need Jesus give your life to Jesus and listen, if you're here and you're struggling with alcohol, because I know so many friends that are, please get help. As your pastor, listen, I beg you to get help. Swallow your pride and get help. In the name of Jesus, please get help. Because it will cost you your family. It will cost you your job. Listen, it could even cost you your life. Please get help. Father, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for topics that we could talk about. We can walk through together and even though we may have different views and, and how we come to different conclusions, Lord, that we're all loved by you, that we all keep you the main thing as we focus on you, King Jesus, because it's all about you and reaching people with the gospel. And Father, continue to do that as you have had your hand and your favor upon our church 
to minister to the, our broken communities. We cannot wait to see what you're going to do. We love you, Jesus. It's your name we ask and we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us online today. If while watching this message, you were led to take a next step or made the decision to start following Jesus, we would love to celebrate with you. Let us know on our website at betterlife.church slash next steps. To stay connected throughout the week, download the Better Life app and consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast. Lastly, if you would like to support what God is doing through this ministry, you can give online at betterlife.church slash give now. We're praying you have a great week and hope to see you again soon.